Well, good morning and welcome to Epic. We are so glad that you are here with us today. Today we are continuing in our message series called What Our God Is. And in this message series, we are exploring the nature of God and what he is really like. Now, we all know what it's like to be misperceived, and none of us like to be misperceived. And so in this series, we are checking out some of the misperceptions about God, and we are trying to clear up some of those misperceptions so that we can know exactly who God is and so that we can have a better relationship with God. Now, growing up... um, I was the type of kid who was the rule follower, okay, for the most part. And uh, how many rule followers do we have in the audience? Let me see your hands. Yep, I know they're out there, all right? Well, anyways, as a rule follower, it was just natural for me to be able to keep track of all of the rules. And I had no problem with just following the rules. Now, at one point in my life, I had a friend who was a rule keeper. Now, there's a difference between a rule follower and a rule keeper. Now, obviously, a rule follower is someone who just follows the rules, And a rule keeper is a person who just points out when you're breaking one of the rules, you know? It was like having Mr. Spock as your best friend, all right? This kid would just quote me all the rules and regulations, and he would show me how I was technically breaking the rules. Now, it was annoying as anything. And uh, for me, especially being a rule follower, it wasn't like I was breaking a lot of the rules, but yet it just seemed like he was out to get me. He just kept pointing out how I was technically breaking the rules. At times, I just wanted to send that kid into orbit, you know? I mean, it was just bothersome. Now, we've all have somebody who has been like that in our lives before, someone who's kind of like big brother watching over our shoulders, and uh, it fires us up, you know? We don't like to have like big brother watching over us, someone who's like looking over our shoulders, someone who's out to get us. It's kind of like living in a city uh, where the intersections have cameras. Uh, Yeah, I went there. I did. That's us, you know? None of us like that feel of having someone watch us. And then some of us kind of think about that way with God. Some of us think that he is just constantly watching over us, that he's out to get us, that he's some kind of cosmic cop that's just waiting to pounce on us, that's just waiting to point out something that we did wrong and show us that we are wrong. So where do we get that perception? Where do we get that perception of God? And for some of us, we grew up um, maybe going to a church or maybe having some people around our lives who just knew everything about the Bible. And as soon as they opened up their mouth, out came a verse, you know, one of those types of people. And so, uh, unfortunately, when something came out of their mouth, a verse that came out of their mouth, it was often to correct us. It was often to tell us that we were doing something wrong. And it felt cold. And it felt distant. And it felt judgmental at times in our lives. Now, for some of us, maybe we grew up in a home uh, that had very strict parents, or maybe we had a friend who had very strict parents, and every time we were around them, it just felt like they were correcting our behavior and telling us what we should do. They just never let up. And to make matters worse, um, they would, you know, just be around us, and they just felt like they were waiting and watching just to pounce on us. And they would all of a sudden say this thing of like, well, that's just what God wants me to do, you know? And it would frustrate us. Now, for some of us, we just grew up thinking that God is this like ultimate rule keeper. And for some of us who didn't believe in God or don't believe in God, we just got that perception or we got that image from some of our friends. We just thought that God is more concerned about us following the rules than he is us. 
And so for a lot of us, we think that God is out to get us, you know, that he's not for us. And if God is against us, then when we think about Jesus, could Jesus really be for us? So for some of us, we have a certain image of God, a certain image that might look like this. You know, that's what some of us have as the image of God and an angry God who is waiting to pounce at us with a stone when we do something that is wrong. A God who is against us and not for us. You know, isn't that what we think at times? Isn't that what some of our perceptions are of God, you know? And do you know what adds fuel to the fire when we think that God is against us? It's when we run across some people who tell us that God is against us, you know? To make matters worse, we get fired up when those people who tell us that God is against us start to break their own rules, you know? Here they are telling us that God is against us and telling us the rules that we should be able to follow, and yet we see them breaking their own rules. We get mad. It infuriates us. So what do we do? What do we do with those types of perceptions? What do we do when we feel like God is the ultimate rule keeper and that he's out to get us? Are those hypocrites right? Well, let's see. Let's dive in today. So would you turn with me to John chapter eight, verse one, and feel free to like use your smartphone. So if you have a Bible on a smartphone, feel free to use one of the Bibles in the back. If you have your own Bible, feel free to use that. In fact, if you have your own Bible and you're single and you're looking for a date, why don't you share it with somebody who's next to you? You know, it just might lead to a little summer love or something like that. But anyways, or we're going to start epic mingle, but no, anyways, um, <clears throat> Hey, just see if you're awake. Anyways, go ahead and turn to John chapter 8, verse 1, and I'll give you a moment to get there. All right, before we dive in, let me tell you uh, about the events that are happening at this time. See, Jesus came to clear up some of the misperceptions about God because he is God in the flesh. Now, I know that's confusing when I say that statement, but next week, Trent is going to unpack that, and I'm glad it's him and not me because it's confusing. But anyways, uh, what we need to know is when we look at Jesus, we see God. And so today, when we look at Jesus's life, at this point in his life, there are people who are wondering who Jesus is. You know, is he the Messiah? You know, is he the person who's going to free his people, the Jews, from the Roman occupation at that time? Is he going to establish God's kingdom or God's reign or God's rule and do away with those evil Romans? Um, is he God in the flesh? Now, at this time, there were some religious leaders, the Pharisees, who couldn't stand Jesus. And the reason they couldn't stand him is that they thought if the Messiah came, that he was going to be this great military leader that was going to wipe out the Romans and that was going to be someone like themselves, this awesome religious elite person who was better than those rule breakers because the Messiah was going to put those rule breakers uh, into check. And yet it frustrated them because Jesus often spent time with the rule breakers and they didn't like that. And so over and over, again and again, they tried to discredit Jesus. Over and over again, they tried to arrest Jesus, but it failed uh, because Jesus didn't back down. Jesus engaged them in the fight. So 
Are you ready? Are you ready for a fight? So let's get ready to rumble here, okay? So John chapter eight, verse one. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. So here's Jesus, who's in Jerusalem. It's the capital city of the Jews. It is considered a holy city because that's where the temple was built so that the Jews had a physical place to meet with God. And so if Jesus was in Jerusalem, he was often in the courts of the temple and gathering people around him to teach them about who God was. And so if you wanted to know where Jesus was, you would just go to the temple because that's where he would be found most likely. Now, verse three, as Jesus was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Could you imagine, like, here comes this group of religious leaders, kind of like a posse riding in, you know, and all of a sudden they barge in uh, as Jesus is teaching this large crowd. And these guys weren't like the common religious leaders of the day. They were the top dogs. They were the top religious leaders of Jerusalem and for all the people. And here they hired some thugs to go out and find a woman who was uh, in the act of adultery. And they bring in this woman and they throw her in front of this large crowd. Could you imagine being that woman? Could you imagine earlier that morning, like being dragged out of your house probably, probably being drugged through the streets and everyone looking and everyone talking about you? Could you imagine the words that they were saying, some of the verbal assault that she received because they knew exactly who she was and somebody knew exactly what she was doing? Could you imagine being drugged to the holiest of holy places in the city in front of the top religious leaders of the day and thrown out in front for the entire crowd to see? Could you imagine the humiliation that she would have felt? Could you imagine the shame that was going on within her? Could you imagine the fear that was gripping her heart as she had no clue what was going to happen to her? Now, here's the saddest part of the thing that happened for this lady, okay? The religious leaders, the Pharisees, they had no care for her. They were only interested in her to use her. They were trying to trap Jesus. They were trying to discredit Jesus. And so here they take this woman to use her to capture Jesus. That's the only intent. That's the only interest that they had in her. So let's continue. In verse four, teacher, the Pharisee said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, which is to kill her by throwing stones at her. What do you say? So you might be wondering, okay, what's kind of going on with the religious leaders? What do they have up their sleeves? You know, well, they're trying to set a trap. And here's the trap that they're trying to set, okay? If Jesus didn't suggest stoning, which the law had prescribed, then he would technically be breaking the law and they could arrest him at that point. But if Jesus didn't suggest or did suggest stoning, at that point, he would have lost credibility with the entire crowd. And he would have had the Roman government breathing hard upon him because in that day, the only people who could give a death sentence was the Roman government. And so the Pharisees, they're sitting back and they think, man, we got this guy trapped, you know? He is caught, we've got him, end of story, 
period, we're finally going to get rid of this Jesus. So let's see what Jesus responds, how he responds to this woman, how he responds to the teachers, how he responds to this crowd, and what he does. And this is big. You do not want to miss this because we learn a lot about God. So verse 6, they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Yeah, we read that correctly. So after Jesus listens to these Pharisees who are demanding you know, judgment for, from him, they want his opinion on this, he just stoops down and he starts to write in the dust at that point. Now, people throughout the centuries have wondered, like, what is he writing in the dust? And here's my gut. It doesn't matter, okay? We're spending way too much energy on that kind of stuff. We'll never know. But I think Jesus is making a big statement here. And this is the statement that he's making. He is deliberately choosing to delay. He is delaying his judgment for her. He is delaying his judgment for the Pharisees. He is delaying his judgment for the crowd. And so he's just waiting patiently. And he is calm in front of this massive crowd in front of these Pharisees who were like a pack of hounds who were chomping at the bit and waiting to pounce and ribbing him on to give them an answer. And you know what this reminds me of? This reminds me a lot about what God did a long time ago. See, there was the leader, Moses, and he was the Jewish leader who led them out of Egypt and was given most of the law to give to the people. And at one point, he's really discouraged. Uh, the, the people are not following God. Uh, they could care less. They were being like hypocrites, you know, saying that they were going to follow God and then they weren't following God. And at that point, he was very discouraged. And God does something very special for him and to encourage him. He says, I'm going to reveal to you my presence and my character, and I promise because I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to be with the people. I'm never going to give up on the people. And here's what he said. Listen to this passage uh, in Exodus 34, 6. This is what God says. It says, the Lord passed in front of Moses calling out Yahweh, which means the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. So here's Jesus who takes time out. Should have reminded him of when God kind of said, "Hmm, this is who I am, you know? So here's Jesus's character that's on display for everyone to see. It's on display for the woman to see. It's on display for the Pharisees to see. It's on display for the entire crowd to see. And he responds like God. He is slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Now that should speak volumes to us. Some of us think that God is like so angry and ready to pounce. But it was the religious leaders who were ready to pounce. You know, in this passage, he isn't like, you know, pointing fingers. He's not getting angry. He's not like calling things to come down on this woman at that point. Instead, he delays. He delays his judgment. Because here's what we need to know. God is for you and not against you. Let me say that again. God is for us and not against us. And that's what he was demonstrating in that moment. So let's kind of watch what he says because the answer that he gives to the Pharisees saves her life. Listen to this, verse seven. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, 
but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. So Jesus's words are powerful and profound at this moment. He doesn't argue with them on whether the stoning was appropriate or not, because that would have gotten him into trouble. Instead, he turns the tables on the Pharisees. He plants it back into their court. And here's what we need to know what was going on. You see, the Pharisees weren't really exactly following the law to the letter of the law. You see, when someone commits adultery, there are two parties that are involved, and they only had the woman. They didn't have the man at that point. And so the law says that you are to bring both. Both are to be present. So here's what's going on with the Pharisees. They're guilty themselves of breaking the law. You know, they're using this woman, and they're trying to use the law to corner Jesus in that moment. And the older ones started to get that. And they came face to face with being a hypocrite because Jesus put it back in their courts. And so they start to walk away because they realized that they had claimed to follow God's law perfectly, but they weren't following the letter of the law. Now, Jesus was used to them coming and confronting him. I mean, it happened on a regular basis. And often he would have to show that they were hypocrites. And often he would show that they had been misrepresenting God. For at that time, there were people who thought that God was against them because of the Pharisees. Now, we can like badger the Pharisees all uh, we want. But do you know what? You know, sometimes we're a little bit like the Pharisees. Sometimes I'm a little bit like a Pharisee. Sometimes I can misrepresent God. Sometimes we can misrepresent God. And here's what it does. It not only affects us, but greater than that, it affects the people who are around us. Because when they see God, instead they see that God is against them rather than for them. And so we need to check our hearts at times. We need to do some things in our lives. And if we want to join God with representing him, which is that he is for us, then we need to do exactly what Jesus asked us to do. And this is what he asked us to do. Check this out. He said, if you follow these two commandments, then you are following the entire law. In Matthew 22, 37 through 40, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Now at times, you know, we look at that first commandment and say, oh, okay, that's kind of easy, you know. And then we start to check out that second law and say, you know, well, I kind of got the first one down. You know, I've been uh, talking to God. I've been reading my Bible. I've even tried to memorize a scripture or two. I've been attending church. You know, I'm doing pretty good. But here's where the rubber meets the road. It's in the second commandment. It's to love others just as we would want to be loved as well. And that's tough at times. Because when we start to do that, when we love others as we love ourselves, it really shows us if we're really loving God. And so here's a little check. Here's a check for us. Here's a check for me. And this is kind of tough. But here's some things that we know. Okay, do we got this thing down or are we a little confused about this? So sometimes we love to talk to God but yet we don't like to be around uh, people who are not Christ followers. 
Sometimes we, you know, end up going to church, but we don't like sharing our lives with other Christ followers. Sometimes we will memorize a passage of scripture, but yet we don't end up helping the people who need help that are right around us. Sometimes we say that we want our spouses to honor us, but yet we don't honor our spouses. Sometimes we ask God for forgiveness, but yet sometimes we don't resolve our own conflicts with other people. And sometimes we hang out with people who are not Christ followers and they would never know that we are a Christ follower because of the way that we treat other people. Now our lives, they speak volumes. And we want our lives to do exactly what God wants us to do, which is to show people that God is for them and not against them. And so God wants us to embrace that and we can. And Jesus shows us how we can, because he embraced her and he showed her the two greatest commandments. Isn't that how we want God to respond to us? That's the way he does respond to us. And let's see what he's, how this passage finishes out in verse 10. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. And Jesus does something remarkable here, okay? He doesn't condone her sin, but yet he withholds his judgment. If there's a person who could have judged, it could have been him, but he didn't. At that point, what he's more concerned about is showing her that he loves her, that she matters. And at that point, he also wants her to see his unfailing love for her, a love that defended her, a love that stood with her when no one else would stand with her, a love that would associate with her when no one else would associate with her, a love that stood up against one of the harshest attacks of the day, a love that chose to delay judgment so that she could see his love, a love that asked her to leave her lifestyle not because of a threat of being stoned to death, but because he loves her so much and he just rescued her. He rescued her. Nobody else stood up for her because that's what God wanted to show that day. That's what Jesus wanted to show that day, that he is fighting for us, that he is not against us, that he is for us. That's what he wants you to know today, that he is for you. He's choosing to delay his judgment for us so that he can see his great love, a love that sent his son to the cross to rescue us because you are valuable in his sight. You are worth so much to him. He loves you so dearly that he's willing to do anything. He's willing to stand for you and to associate with us no matter what we have done. That's the type of God that he is. He's for us and not against us. And so if that echoes in your heart, if that gets you fired up, you know, how can we live for him? How can we show others that God is for them and not against them? So here's my challenge for us, okay? Here's what I want us to give a shot this week, 
okay? I want us to live out the two greatest commandments this week. I just want you to give it a shot, okay? Give it a test. And here's what I want you to do. Each morning, would you wake up and would you say to God, God, would you send somebody into my life today so that they could see a little glimpse of you? And then when you see that person, would you love them as you would want to be loved? I kind of came up with a little bit of a phrase to help us remember this, okay? So here's this phrase that I'm going to ask us to, you know, say out loud, okay? Do for you what I would want done for me. Do for you what I would want done for me. So let's say that together. Do for you what I would want done for me. Let's say it again. Do for you what I would want done for me. So when you go into that Starbucks or you go into that Dunkin' Donuts and there's somebody behind that cash register and maybe they don't greet you very well, would you just smile at them and thank them for their service? Because that's what you would want done for you. When you all of a sudden see maybe you're hanging out in an office lobby and someone's cleaning and doing a great job of cleaning, would you go up to that person and say, you are doing a great job. Thanks for doing this today. And would you let them know that they are valuable? When you see that person or when you talk to that person on customer service, and I know we all love customer service, okay? They're taking their time to help as much as possible. You get on the phone and try to help somebody, okay? And would you just thank them for being patient and for taking the time to help you? And then if you are like out for a walk or on a bike ride and you see you're like your neighbor like who's like trying to carry this refrigerator all by themselves, you know, would you stop and would you help them this week? Because isn't that what we would want done for us as well? And then if you see a stranger at Walmart, which we always see strangers or we see our best friends there or something, would you just pause? And if somebody needs help with their groceries, like to put them into their car, would you help them? Would you do for them what you would want done for yourselves? That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to live the two greatest commandments. Because when we do that, people will know that God is for them and not against them. And so today, as you go out today, you're going to be receiving this card. And I want you to take this card and I want you to put it somewhere in your house or in your car, on the dash, in the bathroom or something, somewhere where you see it in the morning. And when you see that, would you pray to your heavenly father and ask him to give you people that you will be able to come across and give you an opportunity to display his character to them? And would you just see that phrase and remind yourself and repeat that phrase to be able to do the thing that we would want done for us as well? Could you imagine if we did that? Could you imagine if all of us walked out this week and did that, the impact that we would have on people's lives? They would say, wow, you're different, you know? Especially if they're from New York, you know? I mean, come on. People love to be encouraged. So see if you're awake. But anyways, would we do that together? All right. And would we represent our heavenly father who is for us and not against us? So I'm going to close us in prayer. And would you commit to him during this prayer that you're going to give it a shot this week? So let's pray. Father, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you, God, that you love us so much, God, that you were willing to come down and fight for us, that you continue to fight for us, that you are clearing up misperceptions about who you are. God, thank you so much for rescuing that woman. Her life could have been taken, but instead you rescued her because that's your great love for us. And so God, thank you for rescuing us 
Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for us. Not to condemn us, but to rescue us. And so, Father, would we represent you? Would you help us to live out these two greatest commandments? And would we do for others as we would want them to do to us? When they see our great love, they will see you. And so, Father, thank you so much for always fighting for us. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Yeah, thank you, Tim, for today's message and just the challenge of God's two greatest commandments. So I just take it out this week and let's engage is what Tim was trying to teach us there. My name's Cody and I am the leader of our student ministry surge. So if you guys could, you have the announcement sheet right next to you. If you could pick that up, I have a few things to highlight on there. Now I look in this back corner back there and I see a massive amount of candy. And I just want to say thank you to everybody that's been bringing it in. Um, As you've heard, Serge, our student ministry is going to be doing the 4th of July parade down in Flagler Beach. We have a float that's going to be in there. And we just do not want to be that float that runs out of candy. So I can't say thank you enough for bringing it in. Um, And if you look at it and you say, oh man, I forgot, we have one more week. So if you want to bring it in next Sunday, feel free to do that. Again, I just thank you for what you guys are doing doing. Um, Also, if you have a student that is affiliated with Surge or in the middle or high school level, uh, we actually have a texting service that you can keep up to date on what we're doing and our message that that we have going along there. So if you would like to keep up with our texting service, you can text Epic Surge to 313131 and you'll get those weekly updates that we send out. Now, If I have any students or parents that are going to Big Stuff, one of the 26 students that that are going to Big Stuff, we are having a meeting right after this service over in the teacher's lounge. So if you could all head over there right after we're finished up here, we'll corral you all in there. Also, if you call Epic your home and you'd like to partner in uh, what we're doing in the community and just changing lives, there's two ways that you could give here at Epic. You can give online at theepicchurch.com or you can give in the giving boxes right behind the Sydney Center, right behind you. Now, if you're new with us today, we just ask that you stop over at the Connection Center. We're so happy you're here, and we just want to be able to say hi um, and just give you a little information and tell you what Epic's all about. So everybody, if you could stand up, say hi to somebody you don't know or don't know well, have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next Sunday.